is a fan-off production. Welcome to yet another episode of Erie International, episode 381 this week, brought to you by fanoffmedia.com. My name is David from the United States. I'm Andy from Germany. I'm Dave from the UK. And we are here to talk about horror stuff. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, uh, we are a multinational, international, it's called Erie International, not um, Erie Multinational, so let's go with that podcast from three different countries we talk about horror stuff um this week we're deviating slightly but also not really we'll, we'll get into it <laughs> um we're brought to you by fanoffmedia.com you can check them out uh at the aforementioned fanoffmedia.com lots of cool shows on there if you go to erieinternational.com it'll take you straight to our page on their site where you can listen to all of our prior episodes numbered and otherwise interviews bonus episodes all kinds of stuff all in the same feed all for free go check it out if you're uh using some kind of podcast app just do a search on there odds are we're there if not let us know erie international at gmail.com if you want to send us uh that podcast app and any longer form thoughts feel free we're also on social media <clears throat> facebook twitter and instagram everywhere is at erie international except for twitter which is just at erie int um although i mean people have been saying twitter's been dying for a, a while now which you know it has but i feel like i've noticed this week i don't know how much you guys get on twitter i feel like i've noticed this week it has felt like a wasteland have you guys felt that too more so recently yeah um i don't know like, the thing is twitter is a different experience for everyone because it's essentially echo chamber.com right like you follow the people <laughs> sure. you follow uh but i've i've definitely noticed a a lower number of, of posts from people that I'm very interested in following, a lot more advertising and suggested posts from people that I would never look at in my life. And um I also I also don't post a ton, but when I do I get um or in the past I would get a decent amount of I don't call it engagement. I'm not tweeting for marketing reasons, but just mm -hmm. people that, that follow me and that I follow and we tweet back and forth at each other, they'd all see it um and you know likes respond all, all the ways that you use twitter and here in the past week or so i felt like the algorithms changed or something because it, it was just it was like going out into a void yeah. I, I can still see other people but anyway you don't well, have to go on a musk tangent <laughs> if you haven't got a blue tick then you're basically screaming into the void i guess that's true too what um, are you gonna say andy come i just today i heard on the radio that they announced this new thing that they're limiting the <laughs> amount of tweets that you're seeing per day. If you have a blue tick, you yeah. can see like 6,000. And if you don't have a blue tick, you can see 600. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't um, hear about that. Okay. Yeah, so apparently this is because uh, Elon Musk reckons, and we all know how much we can trust Elon Musk, um, the man who says that he made his money from nothing when actually he grew up in a family that owned an emerald mine. Um, so anyway, yeah, he, <laughs> he reckons that there's a lot of data scraping going on. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of AI or what. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but his way of fixing that is to limit new account creation 
uh, to limit the number of tweets that you can read, which I, I think the, my understanding of, of reading a tweet is tapping on it and actually getting it come up on your screen rather than just scrolling through because I don't know how mm-hmm. it could stop you scrolling at 600 messages. <laughs> just that. Um, so, yeah, there, there's uh, essentially you can, you can look at and engage with 600 tweets a day if you have no verification and 6,000 if you have verification. And he says it's temporary, but... It's interesting that the temporary solution does involve us giving them money. So. Yeah, the, the temporary uh. <laughs> solution once again incentivizes paying for access to Twitter. And it's it's enough for some people. I've, I've got uh, friends that have actively said, okay, that's it, look, I'm deleting at the end of the week. Uh, I'm not deleting immediately because I do need to... Um, you know, uh, what's the word? I, I need to let people know where I'm going. So I'm, I'm going to spend right. the week basically just uh, letting you all know w- w- what my Mastodon is and what my Instagram is and all of this stuff. And after that, then uh, I'm I'm done. I'm out of here. See you later. Um, and well, I think a lot makes... more people are going to do that. I, I Back when all this stuff really started happening, I signed up for those different accounts that everybody was signing up for, and I haven't been on any of them, but I just was like, all right, I'm just going to get my username on here mm. um, saved in case I ever do end up having to switch to one of them. Um, and I was in the <laughs> I was in the theater yesterday watching the new Indiana, Indiana Jones movie, and I got a, a notification from an app I'd never seen before that said rate limit exceeded or something like that, which I'm assuming has to do with what you were just talking about, Andy. Um, and it was from like, basically I, I think it was hive. I want to say, is that one of them? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically they were like talking shit about Twitter. <laughs> it was like, you don't have to have a, you don't have to worry about that on hive kind of thing. But I didn't understand what it meant. I, it was also con- very sort of confusing and a little scary that I had an app saying that out of nowhere. And I was like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, too big of a Twitter tangent. Sorry about that. Maybe we won't be on Twitter soon, but for now, at Erie.int, if you want to tweet at us. Um, all right. This week we're talking about Old Boy, uh, the 2000 and what, three, I think? 2003 revenge Correct. thriller, neo noir action horror thing. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but before that, let's talk about the stuff that we enjoyed um either horror horror adjacent whatever in the past this time a couple of weeks we took a week off last week um so we've got two weeks of stuff to talk about um andy let's start with you what what did you get into if anything again if anything um i had a hard time getting this one movie watched in a two-week span (laughs) because um i don't know i was in a bit of a funk and didn't really have um the mind to and the focus to watch anything especially something that's two hours long <laughs> when we sure. were still planning on recording last week I, I had started the movie but then i was so tired that i had to stop after like 40 minutes and i and then I, uh, I i was in no mood to go back to the movie until this morning actually <laughs> 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 so I, I i watched watched it today and yeah i i read one manga short story but i want to talk about that one on on an upcoming episode because it's 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 just one story in a in a whole volume and i want to read the whole thing um before okay. i talk about it but it's maybe you've heard orochi orochi maybe you've heard i of, uh, is this the one that bianca picked up 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I only know it because I had seen the cover, and then, yeah, you sent us the, the cover on WhatsApp, and it looked oh, really yeah, cool. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. So that's it for me. Okay. Um, Dave, let's jump over to you. Any any spooky stuff? Yeah. Um, actually, yes. And uh, you guys, I think, both know about this one, but the other night I... Um... I made the mistake of reading a tweet from a friend of the show, Farron Reynolds, uh, where, where he was <laughs> once again <laughs> he was once again uh, espousing uh, his belief that an American werewolf in Paris is better than an American werewolf in London. And at this point, I, I, I would I would be upset, and I would love Theron less if he didn't say something outrageous <laughs> like that about a movie. Yeah, look, so, this is the thing. It, it's become part of his legend and charm for me. Is yeah, that just like what what a what an embrace of such a bad opinion. I love. I, it. I, I I I love and respect his opinions on movies, especially when they differ from my own. But look, I'll, I'll be honest. When I walked into that conversation, it wasn't like I'd seen either movie in recent years. Uh, I have seen both of them uh, before now, but I basically he he was saying that uh, Paris is a better movie. The uh, protagonists are more likable. It deals with werewolves better. Um, I haven't got the tweet in front of me, so I, I can't quote it word for word, but. Um, I, I I basically sent um, the Michael Jordan meme of, uh, and I took offence at that. Um, <laughs> and I, have then... the, I I pulled just pulled up the tweet because I right the the thing is with Theron he doesn't state in my that it is it's his opinion he states it like it's a fact. Mm. Uh -huh. the, the tweet goes like this: Just a reminder that an American werewolf in Paris is absolutely better than London, and the Landeses <laughs> are trash. It's, so it's it's about John Landis, uh, yeah. but yeah. Now, look, the Landis thing I can completely understand and not necessarily get behind, but certainly I understand that point of view because of the whole kid dying in a helicopter crash thing that we've mentioned on this show years ago, I think, at this point. Um, multiple kids. Multiple. And Jennifer Jason Lee's dad. <laughs> yes. Right, yeah. So, and, and there was a lot of stuff that happened after that and people squirming out of stuff. And, and you know, th there's a lot of skeezy shit yeah. goes in Hollywood and, and we're not here to talk about that. But, like, I, that is not the part of the tweet that I was disagreeing with at all. And fair no. enough. Um, but even the worst people can make some fairly decent stuff. <laughs> and Landis has made some really decent stuff over the years. Um, but oh, it, Werewolf in London's also one of your, uh, if I remember correctly, in your top five, right? Yeah. Like yeah. horror movies? Yeah, it's a big movie. American Werewolf in, in London. Uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1970s version with... Um, uh, Sutherland, right? Yeah, with, with Donald Sutherland. And then I can't remember what the other... I, I don't think I've ever definitively stated my top five. I've just Those are the two, two that two I always remember for you, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> so. these two are definitely in there. So, um, yeah, so I, I basically... I, I sent that message saying, look, I feel attacked. Um, because it's, it's, an, it's a personal thing at this point. Like, you know, I love London, but also it's like... It's a movie that's based in London. So, of course, I'm going to stand that fucking thing. Um, and then he came back with some very actually well measured out points uh, about why he felt it was the better movie about how um, the uh, the two main protagonists from uh, Paris are more likable people and more proactive. And um, then I was just like, OK, I'm really not armed for this discussion. So I left it at that and immediately went to Amazon Prime and watched American Werewolf in Paris. Long way, way round of getting to what I watched this week, huh? But we got there. Um, <laughs> so I watched American Werewolf in Paris, and I mean, I enjoyed it. The thing is, it's not a bad movie. It's a really fun movie. But 
I still think London is miles better than it is, and and there's reasons for that. I think if you make a sequel uh, to a, a to a movie and it doesn't share, I mean, there are examples where they do this, like um, Chainsaw Massacre, right, where the second one is basically a comedy, and London is I've a just comedy. Never really, I've just never really considered Paris. Like to mm. me, it's been the like. Um, What's the sequel to Chinatown? The Two Jakes is that what it's called? Like oh, it's, yeah, it's it's been like, like it. it's always been like that for me. Like those those times where they've made a sequel to a a classic like influential movie, mm. and it's like kind of just a curiosity movie trivia fact more than yeah. it is like part of a, a legacy or a franchise. That's how Paris has always felt to me. I, I think I've seen it. I can't remember. I think I know I've at least seen scenes from it. The opening titles do state that it's based on Amer- um, ide- ideas and, and characters from an American okay. werewolf in London. Uh, I guess so just maybe because sign. of the cultural cachet. It's yeah. like, it does. It just is eclipsed by London. So oh, even sure. comparing them to me seems kind of crazy. But totally. But it's, they're, it's totally. They're, they're very different. <laughs> movies like oh yeah london is a little more earnest although it does really embrace comedy when it goes for it um it's got a very nihilistic ending um and i think it just approaches it from a slightly more naturalistic as naturalistic as you can be for like a werewolf movie like my god what's happening to me um and like battling those two sides of you and then you've and got then Paris. Paris opens with uh, Bungie jumping off the Eiffel Tower, which right? immediately, <laughs> even when I first watched it in my teens, right? Immediately, I had problems with that concept because the Eiffel Tower is wider at the bottom than it is at the top, and even the viewing platform. Like, I'm fairly certain that the viewing platform is not as wide as the base of the the tower. I could be wrong here, but I've always felt that bungee jumping off of basically you you wouldn't bungee jump off a pyramid, would you? Like why? <laughs> it wouldn't work. You you could, but it wouldn't work. Got to jump well. real far. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like I I know I'm complaining about realism in a werewolf movie here, but come on, there are some things that you just can't make fly. Um, the other the, the other thing I always remember about Paris that's mm. a, that's a criticism. At least I remember it as a negative. And since you just watched it, you can you can let me know. Yeah. CG heavy. I remember and yes. and not great. Um, do you know what the CG isn't god awful? But it's definitely obvious that it's CG. I feel like they sure. could have done more practical effects if they wanted to, but the budget maybe would have been stretched by that. Uh, yeah. I can completely see why they went the way they did. But essentially, American Werewolf in Paris, they, they issue the Anne um, in, in the title of that movie, uh, somewhat strangely and annoyingly. Um, it basically feels like Eurotrip but with werewolves like it is first and foremost a dumb fucking comedy movie and then it has horror thrown in there for good measure um and i having seen it i'm still not massively equipped to debate it with theron uh (laughs) because i i don't do very well at getting my thoughts out uh on these things but i i just feel like tonally it's very different it feels like a generic action movie in the third um uh, the, the you know the the final third of the movie um it just descends into everyone's got guns and everyone else is a werewolf and we're all having a chase and we're not sure who anyone is there's some funny jokes like a, a dog being found at the scene of uh of the main character wolfing out um in the cemetery 
and it's basically just been pancaked and it's quite clear that as a werewolf he's had his wicked way with it um that's like a fu- that's that's a funny joke and then um there's a girl that he hooks up with halfway through the movie who ends up dying and then she comes back as a ghost along with uh, earlier in the film his one of his two friends is killed by a werewolf and comes back as a ghost as well mirroring the first movie and i like the interplay between those two and him um that's quite good but generally speaking the movie just feels like a really dumb comedy that had werewolf uh, aspects thrown into it as an afterthought to justify um, making it, and it, it look it's actually well directed as well. This is the irritating thing; it's just so chock full of dumb comedy, and it doesn't need to be. And yeah, it just it feels like a very tonally different movie. And and maybe I should sit down and watch um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre one and two and see whether the comparisons are justified. But from everything that I'm told and I hear about Texas Chainsaw 2 and the way that they went for a very over-the-top comedy movie, this kind of feels like they went down the same route with it, but to a less auspicious end. I don't know. I think the difference is people remember that TCM 2 exists. And <laughs> and there's a lot of people who really love that movie. It's yeah. I think it's more of a Gremlins Gremlins two situation with yeah, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and with American Werewolf. I think I think it's pretty easy to fix Theron's tweet. It should state friendly reminder that American Werewolf in Paris exists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, definitely I agree. worth watching. Like it's it's a every. Fun- I mean, you just heard me say everything. I, every single thing I remember about it is connected to other stuff, not the movie. It's like the other the other point of memory I have for this movie is that the star is Tom Everett Scott, who I've only ever seen in one other movie, and he's the lead of that thing you do, which I'm a big fan of. Mm. And uh, he's I've never seen him in anything else, but I'm always like, oh yeah, he was in that Paris Werewolf movie, though. Like <laughs> it's 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 a movie that like is again, it's just like a piece of trivia more yeah. than it is a, a movie people have seen. So That's it was true. a perfect perfect uh, Theron um, opinion, I think. Yeah, and you know he he did his job in getting eyeballs on the film because I watched it and I wouldn't have done otherwise. So. Yeah, well done, Theron. Um, you can get your uh, commission from the makers of that movie now. Uh, use this podcast as evidence if you want. But, uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, I think that's everything that I watched this week on, uh, and in the last two weeks, honestly, it's been a bit of a, a slow one. Surprise, surprise! Dave didn't okay. watch much horror. <laughs> um, I've got a, a well, really only one thing, but I watched it three times. So good grief. I, <laughs> I I really really liked it. So I will I'll start with the overall thing um because this time around uh this anthology well-known well-liked anthology series is not just sci-fi, it's sci-fi and some horror and that's the new season of Black Mirror um which came out I think 2 weeks ago. I think I had I I was going to talk about the the episode last week um or, or this season rather. Did, have you guys watched any of the new stuff? I haven't watched Black Mirror in a very long time. I don't think I ever watched it outside of one or two random episodes that were on TV oh, at the time. Yeah, I just okay. it, it was just one of those ones that you just never quite click or, or never get around to watching, and then it was too long between 
me having not seen it and the next right. one coming out and it just honest, got I'm never in the mood yeah. to watch Black Mirror. I've seen I don't know season 1 and 2 and then like a random episode when they started producing it in America and I don't know. It, I, I bet the last time you watched Black Mirror was the last time I watched Black Mirror before this season and it was uh, the four of us at my house <laughs> when you visited because that was the season before this one we watched the miley cyrus episode oh yeah yeah uh, that's true yeah that's the last episode that i watched then but even before that i didn't watch all the episodes because whenever i think of black mirror i think nah bad mood it puts me <laughs> in a bad mood no reason sure. to watch it it's depressive I stuff I tell you though, the uh, the one that I did watch several times uh, was uh, Bandersnatch. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But I feel that's like... one I still haven't gotten into. I, I it doesn't. I watch almost everything on an Apple TV, and it doesn't support that. So I, I have. Ah, okay. I've gotten my PS uh, at the time PS4 out and gone through a little bit of it. But mm. I that's one I need to go through and like really dig into because I've heard it's awesome and yeah, well, has yeah. tons of branches. Uh, for those who, who aren't aware, Bandersnatch is the interactive um, story uh, that uh, Black Mirror released when they yeah. first got the deal with Netflix. Um, it's... It was a little bit after. I think it was like the, the Miley Cyrus episode, which I did not like. Um, and I didn't. I didn't end up watching anything else from that season, which was only three episodes. I think between that and this new season was Bandersnatch. They did it on like Christmas or something. Oh, right. Year. Yeah, that might be the case. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like Bandersnatch is kind of like that odd man out, not just because of the fact that it's the interactive story, um, but just because like it, it seems to be the one that's got the greatest appeal, possibly because of the fact that it was uh, the interactive thing and. There was an awful lot of people that came to it just as a one-off, like myself, who were like, okay, well, yeah. I, I know Black Mirror isn't something that you have to watch from episode one anyway. Like, there's this, no. But for whatever reason, I, I don't really, I never really got into it, but I'm going to give this a go because it's got a lot of buzz at the moment and I like video games and the story is based around video games. And Yeah, yeah. that's the other thing I was going to say. I think that was a hook for people too, was that it was yeah. game design in like the 80s or 90s. And um, so, yeah, okay. I'm glad you guys said this because for both for you guys and for the audience, um, I, I was reminded the audience, our listeners, I was reminded uh, of this um, in the past couple of weeks because I had totally forgotten. I used to be so into Black Mirror. I, I still to this day think it's an amazing show. For the longest period at the beginning, it was like 99.5% consistently fantastic. There was like one episode that was bad. Um, which was called like the Waldo moment. I've only seen it once. It was not good. Um, and they were just making episode or season after se series after series, rather. That was so, so good, like quality wise, writing wise, but absolutely. They were all super bleak um, and, and depressing. Some of them like insanely. So like Requiem for a dream level stuff where I'm like, I'll never need to watch that again. <laughs> like I, I don't need to feel that way. Um, there's an episode in the newest season that, that felt that way to me where I was kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll probably never watch that again. That was good. Well done. Well acted, but, um, ultimately just depressing. Um, somewhere I'm, I'm, I want to say series three or four, um, definitely right before slash around the time Netflix picked it up and started producing it. Charlie Brooker, um, who we have talked about in the past on the show, he did also wrote dead set, which we reviewed years ago. Um, he started branching out instead of making it just like pretty dire sci-fi stuff. 
um, that was really dark or violent or or depressing or nihilistic. He started branching it out into different genres and to stuff that wasn't. And that's when we started getting episodes like which I'm sure you guys have heard about, like San Junipero, um, USS Callister, the one that's like the the Star Trek riff. Um, San Junipero is like pretty much straight up a love story. <laughs> like USS Callister has some dark stuff in it, but it's really funny. Um, he started doing different things. With that came less even results, I, I think, like which is fine. Um, it's an anthology series where, for the most part, he writes everything. Trying to do new things, obviously, is going to mean he's taking bigger risks and trying new challenges, and some of them are going to land better than others. But there have been some fantastic episodes that uh, I genuinely believe, genuinely believe Andy will not make you feel the way that you felt in the past about Black Mirror. Um, so there is that. And then Dave, I think there's a ton of episodes you'll love that you, you probably haven't seen. Um, probably. Yeah. This always USS Callister to... in particular. Oh, I just rewatched, yeah. you know, I'm a Star yeah. Trek nerd. So yeah, oh, I'll yeah. Be you'll like that. it. It's like the same um, thing as Orville. I know that I love the Orville, but I've still not got around to watching it. Oh, so. sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, this newest season has a good mix of all of it. Now the, he, Brooker talked about this in an, an interview leading up to it where he was like, I, take some swings and do some things with black uh, mirror episodes this season that I, people might hate <laughs> because it is so different and, and challenges the idea of what a black mirror episode can be uh, as opposed to what we've thought about uh, considered them to be in the past. Part of that um, has, has come out and not as a spoilery way. There's one episode that's a horror episode and it's hidden. I won't say which one, um, but ultimately there are three episodes out of this five six episode season that are either straight up horror or horror mixed with something else um in in one case the main episode that i want to talk about that i watched multiple times is the finale i actually watched it first because again I, I wish in retrospect i wouldn't have <laughs> i would have watched them in order because this season has some little connections to episodes and stuff that they set up at the beginning but it, it didn't ruin it or anything um it's the finale of of this particular series uh, Demon 79, it is set in London um, in 1979, and it at the beginning when the episode opens, it doesn't do the normal Black Mirror intro with like the, the screen coming up and the it cracking and all that. Um, it comes up and says, um, Red Mirror Presents, and it's the first episode they've done where it's a Red Mirror banner instead of a Black mm -hmm. Mirror banner because it's horror. Um, after it shows that, it shows this giant, amazing title card throwback that says demon 79 with the all rights reserves stuff underneath it like very classic um uh what's the what's the british 70s like hallmark horror movie that everybody talks about don't look now oh yeah um kind of a don't look now vibe to it and feel i i i'm not gonna tell you almost i'm, I'm gonna try to tell you guys almost nothing about the episode because it was so much fun but i have watched it three times uh, I absolutely love it. I'm probably going to be getting a tattoo soon that's kind of from it. Um, not specifically only from the episode. It connects to other things. But um, I was so into it. I've been listening to songs from the episode for the past two weeks. <laughs> I've, I've watched it twice by myself. My friend Trevin came over a couple days ago. I was telling him about it. He was like, "Can you want to watch it? And I was like, if you want to, I'll absolutely watch it again. So we watched it a third time. Um, it's got an amazing cast, uh, amazing writing. Um, basically the setup of it as like the little probably episode description would tell you on Netflix is that, um, a, a young minority woman in, and living in London, she's Indian, um, works at like a, a retail store, um, selling shoes. 
Um, she's like a, an assistant or whatever there to customers. Um, she is contacted by a demon that tells her that she has to kill three people um, before uh, May Day. Is that a is that a British holiday? I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, but it's like European. Uh, it, it's. I'm terrible with holidays. Like I, ju- I'm just like, oh, we get a bank holiday this week. I, right. <laughs> I, I, May Day is one of those like classic holidays that don't really get traditionally observed anymore outside of. Is it like a day summer off. solstice, like one of those it's, kind of things? It's it, it's normally around about the time that you get the blokes in the uh, white costumes with the hankies tied around their ankles, smashing sticks and dancing around a maypole. Okay. Uh, I think it's to do with fertility, but I I don't know. I really don't know. Man, I went on a wild ride with that description. I had no idea what you're talking about for a second. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was my assumption too. It's not important in the, like, it's clearly related somehow to some sort of, I I assumed like folk pagan horror kind of vibe ostensibly because of the demon, Um, but ultimately not important necessarily to the plot what it is. But she has to kill three people before then or else the world will end. It'll be the end of the world. So it goes from there and it becomes this very touching, funny, violent, um, super horror, like tinged for sure. Like it has a, a current running through all of it. Man, I don't know. I don't want to overhype it, but I also don't want to talk about it too much. So I'll just stop there. Uh, it's... I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I texted Austin uh, and was like, jokingly, I was like, I just watched the first 30 seconds of Demon 79 and it's my favorite Black Mirror episode of all time because that's when the title card comes up. Um, and then once I finished the episode, I messaged him again. I was like, dude, I was joking because of that title card, but this might be top three <laughs> for me. Like this was um, just an episode I couldn't stop thinking about and really kind of crawled into my head and I had a, a good time with it. So Highly recommend it to both of you, to any of our our, our listeners who want to... It's about an hour long, um, want a nice horror thing. There's another fantastic episode called Lock Henry, which is about true crime. And sort of like our connection and obsession with that in the modern um, day with podcasts and documentaries and stuff that gets put on Netflix and everything else. The first episode is a, is a comedy and it's lampooning Netflix. Um, they call it Streamberry in the... In the universe of the show um but it gets very meta and and funny and they also talk about ai scripting stuff and all the stuff that's even more kind of prescient right now so got a lot of really cool things in it um but yeah lock henry and demon 79 i I would classify both as horror different kinds of horror um and then there's another one another one in there that's that's pretty horror heavy too but um again i won't i won't say which one I, i read that bricker had said that they were going to put a red mirror um um, kind of title card on that one as well, but they they didn't want to clue in people to the fact that this one wasn't going to be sci-fi; it was going to be horror. Um, but by the time you get to the finale, um, they're they're pretty open about it. So, yeah, he said that if they the response is good, they'll make more Red Mirror episodes, which I would love. I would love um, the times that they have kind of dipped their toes into horror on this show have been been pretty awesome. Um, there's an episode I'm sure you guys have heard about called Playtest with uh, Kurt Russell's kid Wyatt Russell where he's he's playtesting this new VR sort of headset and it's like crawling into his mind and giving him these like really visceral nightmare survival horror type things happening. Um, I think Dan Trachtenberg directed that episode, if I remember yeah, correctly. Correct. Who did. Yeah. Um, 
so they they've they've dipped into it before, but this season it's been the, it's most blatant yet, where it's just right there on the tin, as they say, um, red mirror. So yeah, I've been excited to talk about this all week. I hope people check it out. I hope you guys like it too. Um, but it's man, it was just so good, and it, it does all the things that a black a good black mirror episode does, where there are little minor things. There's a there's a cop um, played by um, I only know him as the main parole officer that the kids had on misfits <laughs> the tv show uh that i loved back in the day and a running joke on that show was that their parole officers were constantly getting killed and they'd have to figure out a way to hide the bodies <laughs> um this is a great show <laughs> uh one of their main parole officers was this dude uh who was just a total weird jerk there's an episode where they change history and he's a nazi like there's all this crazy stuff that goes on i'd never seen him in any other thing before and suddenly he shows up in this black mirror episode and by the end of the episode i'm getting like choked up over this dude just being like you're the last honest man on the force like (laughs) i love i love this guy as a cop like his performance just clued me in on the fact of like oh this guy i should look up his name i'm praising him and not saying uh his name he he could. He's got a lot of range, and I'd never heard of him. Um, You're going to mention this guy's name, and I'm going to be like, "Oh shit, you didn't know about him?" Go on, Keith Holligan, probably Nicholas Burns. Oh no, Is that, I don't. I don't uh, <laughs> best known for his comic performance as the title character in Nathan Barley, whatever his that is. Um, I think. Do you, that's do you ever him. read one of these Wikipedia articles where it says best known for, and you're like, I've never heard of this thing. You've never heard of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, best known doesn't mean well known necessarily. That's true. That's true. This no, that can't be him because he that that man Nicholas Burns was in one episode of Misfits, so that can't be him. Okay, his name's Sean Dooley. Oh, that you know sounds, Sean Dooley. That sounds familiar. Hang on, I'm Googling him now so I can see yeah. his face. Sean Dooley. Oh, he was fuck, on Coronation yes. Street and EastEnders. Does yeah, that narrow it down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him from Corey. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has a, a sort of like... Um, I don't know why I started to say junior detective. That's so condescending. But I, I don't know what the, the, the titles are in, in British police. But like his his partner second in command or whatever is this like super funny super cute mousy girl who has such a funny way of of describing things happening and like um it kind of reminded me of a uh oh man i'm gonna blank on her name the receptionist in twin peaks um at the police station um kind of like her someone who has this this amount of personality and character right away where you're like oh wow you're really interesting instantly to me (laughs) like the the, your presence on screen and your voice and your way of talking so there's these little things throughout the episode too that they didn't have to do they didn't have to to flesh out and give you more but they're doing that constantly so another reason i i was able to so easily watch the episode so many times is that i was constantly picking up you know new things and and little details and um, I'm way overhyping this episode. Um, I'm going to shut up now. That was it. Black Mirror, though, this week, um, or this past couple weeks. I-, I enjoyed the season overall. There was only one or two episodes that I was either lukewarm on or knew I'd never watch again, like the one I mentioned. Um, the rest I was pretty into. So especially if you've uh, avoided it because you've you've only looked at it as a sci-fi thing, um, I think um, this season, while there is sci-fi present in some of the episodes, um, has a lot more horror that might entice you 
it's mad. That is that it from me this absolutely week. Absolutely mad that a show that was once like a kind of a niche hit on Channel Four in the UK is now like this international phenomenon with episodes being directed by people like Dan Trachtenberg. Oh yeah, it's just absolutely mind boggling. Dude, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, I I remember when I got into it, um, they had put some of them on Hulu or Netflix or somewhere mm-hmm. when it was when it was the Channel Four stuff. Yeah, and I watched those episodes and loved them. And then I remember hearing, like, reading online that um, they were going to do a Christmas special and John Hamm was going to be in it. And at the time, being like, "Holy shit!" Like that John Hamm's like this is this mm. like random fun genre you know sci-fi show and it was because he was a fan i think he reached out and wanted to be in an episode um and then it was so weird thinking about that now how it 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 didn't start off like you said as this like huge hit um and i think wisely this season especially too they they turned the the satire inward and Mm -hmm. the stuff that they go after netflix for isn't I mean, clearly Netflix allowed them to do it because it's, it's on the, the, the channel. But it was it was a lot sharper than I expected it to be. Um, so, I don't know. Interesting hmm. stuff to, to discuss. Maybe at some point we should do a, uh, an episode or two and, and just talk about, like, the, the more horror ones or ones that aren't going to make us, you know, want to curl up yeah. in a ball and cry afterward about the fate <laughs> of humanity. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be uh, at all unhappy about that be some good stuff in there all right um let's talk about our movie this week uh andy i'm gonna throw it to you to intro it for us i already mentioned it came out in 2003 uh it's from south korea co-written and directed by park chan wook we'll get into the plot and all of that but this was one that you brought up uh, a couple weeks ago and threw out there as a suggestion so what's the uh what's the story behind that this sounds very much like i'm accusing you of something or making you (laughs) answer for <laughs> <laughs> I made you all watch a movie that you liked <laughs> well um, as a pretty much always let's go to Wikipedia first and sure. then I can okay intro. I can read it I've got it right here yeah, um, okay. a loose adaptation of the Japanese manga of the same name the film follows the story of Odesu who is imprisoned in a cell which resembles a hotel room for 15 years without knowing the identity of his captor nor his captor's motives. When he is finally released, Desu finds himself still trapped in a web of conspiracy and violence. His own quest for vengeance becomes tied in with romance when he falls in love with an attractive young sushi chef, um, Mido. Mido? I never knew exactly how to pronounce that one. Um, this was, when it came out, huge, critical... Um, Darling got tons of good reviews. I'm guessing we all heard about it when it came out. Oh yeah, um, it was it, it, it was massive, and it was also massive for uh, especially for a foreign movie. Um, and I'm looking at it from a U.S. perspective, but just the attention that it got um, as a world movie, but then also as like, I, I, so 2003, I would have been a teenager, so I would have been initially drawn to it for two reasons. One. Um, because of the hallway fight scene and two, and I think this was the main reason I first heard about it in like an entertainment weekly magazine or something was that there's a scene where he eats a live octopus on camera, uh, which was like kind of the big, one of the big things that people were talking about. I remember when the movie was first announced. So that's the basic setup. Um, I'll throw it back over to you, Andy. So, um, the, the reason why I brought this movie up (laughs) is a bit of a weird one. I, f- several weeks 
maybe a few months ago, I started compiling a list of revenge horror movies for us to potentially do a series on that. I never talked to I you like guys about already. that. I like this already. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I compiled that list was that a few months ago, I was heavily into spaghetti westerns <laughs> right and revenge although i was westerns. kind of hoping you would say and the reason i'm bringing this up is that 10 years ago i uh <laughs> i sent you a pheromone in the mail to start a podcast <laughs> i am actually the reason this all came about <laughs> sorry go ahead I couldn't. yeah I, I, i'm the blow felt in this uh, <laughs> on this podcast no i, I was so heavily into uh, italo westerns which are often revenge westerns and we're not a Western podcast, so I compiled a list of revenge horror. <laughs> and Old Boy was on that list. <laughs> and I haven't seen... I only saw Old Boy once when it came out, basically, or shortly after. I remember it, it played at Fantasy Film Fest, but I didn't see it there. Um, but afterwards, I saw like a clip from it, and I regretted not having seen it at, um, at Fantasy Film Fest. So I, I watched it when it came out. And of course, as you said was highly praised. It won the Grand Prix at Cannes. Um, Quentin Tarantino was the president of the jury at the time, and, and everyone was talking about that movie. And today, watching the movie, I, I was wondering if this movie may have been basically the, the beginning of the West paying attention to Korean cinema. It was definitely the was. first time that I heard of Park Chan-wook yeah. and started watching his movies uh, from then on. I haven't seen all of them, but definitely kind of followed his career and watched a bunch of his movies and um it was definitely something that we hadn't quite seen that way yet aesthetically and narratively it's a fucked up story <laughs> um and it's a it's a very interesting movie that i think yeah caught people off guard and introduce something to to the to a western audience that intrigued them in the in the early 2000s and that uh, yeah i i i guess um gave gave korean cinema a, a boost uh, which ultimately resulted in parasite winning the oscar <laughs> yeah um so yeah, and then that's why we're talking about it today. Is it a horror movie? I don't know. I had I was struggling f compiling a list of horror re revenge horror movies <laughs> and old oh boy, it does have some weird moments and it played at Fantasy Film Fest and horror people like it. So why not talk about old oh boy on on Eerie International? We make our own it's rules. It's not quite it's not quite the um cornucopia of genres that uh, everything everywhere all at once is. But there's there's so much in it that I, it I, I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those things where it's like there's maybe five different groups of film fans you could throw this movie at and they would all like it. <laughs> and, and they're all very different types of film fans. Um, so, yeah, I, when you first said it, I was like, OK, we're stretching it a little bit, which we've done in the past. So that didn't I didn't bother me at all. And I remembered enough of the the plot to knew, know that it you know goes into some dark places and everything else re-watching it for the first time since high school i was like jesus this is a horror movie <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's uh it's the uh, there was a oh, man i'm gonna blank on his name now I'm, i feel terrible 
Um, we had a, a listener early on who emailed us and talked about their their definition of horror as the absence of hope. Um, and I think about that definition a lot with with certain movies that we get into and how that feeling of horror and dread and everything else um, comes into play. And man, does that hit multiple times throughout this. Um, I think especially uh, toward but the end. The movie is probably the definition of absence of hope. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that's that's the basic. That should be the the Wikipedia summary <laughs> for the movie. Yeah. Old Boy, two thousand three, directed by Park Chan Wook, The Absence of Hope. <laughs> it's the whole plot summary. Yeah. Um, I uh, th- th- man, there's so much to talk about and unpack with this movie. I it's fantastic. I I, I think I I went into it this time um, kind of expecting and assuming like, oh yeah, it's great. It's great back then. Like it, you know, I, I everybody loves it. I know why. I've I've gone back and rewatched scenes on YouTube, namely the hallway fight scene. Um which it's weird because that scene was so influential and has has lived on and it's not a, a martial arts like action movie. <laughs> there there are a couple of scenes like that in the movie. Um but it's definitely not that kind of movie at all to the point where uh one of the games that I played the most and the deepest depths of my depression in the past year to have is a game called Sifu. Um, oh, for, uh, yeah. It's on different consoles. Yeah, I'm, I figured you know it, Dave. Um, I got heavily sucked into that game. Part of it is because you can just replay levels and, and the combat is very fun. But it's a very martial arts-heavy, uh, influenced um, game. That's the entire thing. There's references constantly to different uh, martial arts franchises and movies and eras and everything else. And in the first... Um, the very first level, there's a sequence where you open up a door and it's a long hallway full of doors and a bunch of guys. And <laughs> when you fight them, the camera pulls out and it, it frames it up exactly like old boy. And you do that entire fight scene. And then when you hit the last guy and knock him out, the camera goes back in and gives you that exact same over the shoulder shot of the hallway filled with dudes on the ground. that old boy does. So it's a movie that came out in 2003. That's not really a martial arts movie. <laughs> and there is a very direct influence and, and reference in Sifu. Um, and that's not even to talk about the amount of hallway fight scenes. I think this movie inspired and influenced and um, that you can go on, on YouTube now and just watch compilations of all these great fight scenes from the raid or daredevil or, you know, all these things that have come throughout the, especially like these one shot sort of tracking uh, shots where everything's very clean. I was also a sucker for, um, I still like it now, but especially when I was, I don't know, 16 when I saw this, uh, the last time, probably, um, the very first shot where he's like posing above the dude and it does the dotted line from the hammer to his head. Um, <laughs> Stuff like that, all I don't know why it always gets me. I I don't know if it's because um, I remember the very first time I ever saw it that I can think of was in Pulp Fiction, where um, Mia Wallace says um, something about being a square, and then it makes a square with her two fingers in the air, and it does dotted lines. They like mm-hmm. animate them in there. Um, having something that's totally completely pulling you outside of it, and it's this foreign element, and yet it's still there, probably because it's design sort of inspired. Um, I always just think it's so cool. And I remember seeing that shot and just being like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Even though it's just a dude standing there with a hammer and they put a dotted line, (laughs) but there's something interesting and and stylish and new about it. Um, yeah, I was held held up really well for me. Loved it the second time as well. 
I was trying to think where that would come from, like that kind of influence, that kind of visual style. And I, at first I thought maybe Wes Anderson, um, but I can't think <laughs> yeah. of anything exact that, that would fit that. And then I realized that actually you, you don't have to look very far away from where this story comes from, which is uh, it's an adaptation of a manga, as, as we, we mentioned at the beginning. Um, it's anime, right? Like, how many anime have you seen where, like, someone will be in a terrible position and then the camera will pan to the left where their friend was and there's just an, a, a dotted line outline of where they were and a puff <laughs> of smoke where they've just zipped off? Like, yeah. you know, it's 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 a very kind of anime slash manga thing to do. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we were to track down the old boy manga if there was actually um, a panel where there was a line pointing to the head from the hammer. And I they've almost, just replicated that, and I love that. I almost did track down the manga this time. I've I've looked into reading it in the past, just again because it's it's such a unique and weird thing that it's also based off of a manga too. Mm. <laughs> because it it would be I'm trying to think of another Ichi movie that came out a for well I'm trying to think of a, another foreign movie that doesn't seem like it would be based off of a manga, and then you find you find out oh, that. Uh, portrait of a woman on fire was based off of a like a, a webtoon or something mm. like it, it's just such a random <laughs> kind of thing to where it's like man what a strange so and from what i've from what i've read at the very least the ending and the reasoning and the rationale of the of imprisoning um desu and all that is completely different um in the in the manga and i've mm. read that it's a lot less interesting in the manga not because it doesn't deal with you know incest from from their childhood uh, high school era but because it's more just like he pissed him off one time it, it's something it, pretty flimsy yeah. when you get to the end of it so that put me off trying to go back and read i don't know however many volumes of it, it, it of it it is but even just that as a as a starting point that they then took it and made it into this mishmash of of these different genres and sort of rewrote it um, and in another country too, like adapting it. I, I don't know. I have to shut up about this movie. I, I'm realizing now I've got we too actually, much to say. <laughs> we actually do own volume one of the month. Oh, nice. I haven't read it. I read a few pages earlier today, <laughs> so cool. I cannot really compare. But And and we bought it so long ago. Uh, I think it isn't even a print anymore in Germany. <laughs> so we only own volume one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, uh, are, are we all on the same page? Do we all like this movie? I don't want to just assume here. Yeah. The, this movie just aesthetically is such mm -hmm. a masterwork. I love how often Park Chan-wook uses like almost still images in this movie when he cuts to a scene and there's people just standing there or holding something and only slightly moving so you realize it is not a still <laughs> it's yeah. not photography uh and then and then they start properly moving but the, the camera stays still um almost like these i don't know like like paintings and that then progress into into moving pictures and makes me wonder you... if it's the the manga influence too because i I, I've seen that same thing. Shyamalan talks about framing things very similarly with Unbreakable um, because of the the idea of using a panel mm -hmm. um, as the border of the screen. Yeah, it's it's possible. I don't know how much Park Chan-wook is actually influenced by, by manga and comic books. Um, I mean, there's there's always filmmakers that are just inspired by paintings. 
actual pain. Oh, totally. Yeah. I said I wonder, um, not it yeah. is true. <laughs> so. but I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to think. I would argue, I would assume that Park Chan-wook does that in other movies as well that are not based on, on manga. I mean, we've, we talked about Thirst not too long ago, mm-hmm. but still, I, I don't quite remember um, the, the imagery from that movie that well. Um, but yeah, I don't know the, the the colors, the lighting, the camera, uh, the whole aesthetic of the movie is just wonderful in its in its violent and grimy sense. <laughs> um, There's a lot of interesting transitions too that he does that are one-offs. Yeah. Um, that he doesn't. The one that I really loved was that when they find the website of the school and they're scrolling through the pages, and it's it's loading like 2003 in a dial-up internet cafe. Like it's it's clearly an old website. Um, and the scene transitions from the picture that's on the website to Desu and his daughter pulling into that um, place with the car. Their car in the picture on the website is there. Uh, but you don't know that, so it melts. It doesn't make any sense, but, I mean, that's a, a lot of stuff in the movie doesn't. That's very cool that he, again, does one time. When they're at the school and Desu is remembering um, the events, he's running and kind of, like, following his memory of being there. But it starts to get to a point where he is he is not really seen, but he's seen the people in the past running around him. And there's lots of stuff like that throughout the movie where suddenly logic gets broken. or But you're always... You're always, at least for me, I was never confused about what was happening, but I could, I could see having, I, I don't know, I, I think about a lot of things through the lens of explaining it to my kid now. So, uh, not that I showed this to Daniel, but <laughs> had I been watching it to Daniel, having to explain to him, well, those people aren't really there. Like we're seeing his memory as these actors, and then getting to a point where he starts noticing them and having to then, in my imaginary um, explanation to Daniel, be like, yeah, that one's weird. They don't normally do that. <laughs> like, that's that's not normally a thing that happens where you start. But it makes sense, and it makes the, the flashback that much more visceral. It makes the whole metaphor of the idea that, um, I forget the guy's name that's messing with him, that kidnapped him, but that he's messing with his head and orchestrating things because he starts appearing in, in these things that are being these like memories that he's seen. Anyway, there's, there's lots of stuff like that throughout the movie where um, it, it's just a very, like you said, stylized thing that is in that particular moment, but it's not a motif. It's not something we see happening throughout. We don't revisit it, um, but it always works. I, I think of everything everywhere all at once again, because it's the same kind of, just sort of confused amusement I have at being like, I don't know how you guys did this, but you've pulled it off. Like it, it shouldn't work. There's too much weird shit going on. There's like really funny stuff followed by severely depressing, dark stuff. And then an action scene in a hallway. Like, how are you guys doing this? But they do it. It's great. It's a great movie. You guys have to let stop me from talking more seriously. I'm just getting more excited and it's going to get worse. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I agree with both of you. I, I think this is a, a wonderful movie. The The first time I watched it, I think, was um, my friend Ryan had mentioned that this movie had been out for a little while and, and that it was uh, something that he really wanted to see. And I think one of us got it on DVD and we ended up watching it at his. And it was just such a... 
bearing in mind this is probably at this point 2004 2005 because there's some films that just don't get a quick dvd release um especially in that era um but we we watched that and i was just blown away by it um just the i i didn't know what i was looking at at the time you know i i barely know what i'm looking at now to be honest where it comes to like you know using a critical eye but like the cinematography of it especially that scene uh where the um where he has that that fight in the hallway and the camera quite clearly the hallway was built with a cutaway that they could remove on one side so that the camera could track his movement along the hallway and it was just not something that i'd ever knowingly witnessed before um completely practical and just all done unless uh, they've done a very good job of cutting it together all done in one take also one of the earliest examples of augmenting something with cg because i think the knife in his back is not a practical effect i think it's cg um obviously it's practical when he pulls it out at the end and lets it just clatter to the floor in the parking garage afterwards but um yeah it's just such a wonderful good looking movie but tonally as you just mentioned there david like very much all over the place it goes from being hilarious to being tragic to being uh adrenaline fueled uh action to really heartfelt uh emotional stuff and seemingly on the 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 spin of a coin and i again that's something that i'd not really experienced up to that point and I'll often talk about the fact that uh, you know shows like The West Wing and The Newsroom, uh, Aaron Sorkin basically, um, is capable of making shows that turn from tragedy to comedy and vice versa in in like, in like an instant, and that there's a real skill to that. But some people don't like it because of the fact that it feels like it's too jarring that it moves from one thing to the other. But actually, in real life, that happens all the time. And sometimes the best way to get over something is to have a bloody good laugh. And, and uh, you know, so I, I really did enjoy it just mainly for the fact that it was such a different experience to anything I was used to. Like Korean sensibilities where it comes to filmmaking seemingly were so different. Um, the way that the film opens, uh, well, not not the way it opens, um, That that's, that's not right, but there's a point where i think it actually does open with him hanging on to the guy by the tie and leaning off the side of the building and then you think to yourself right okay so the normal setup would be that he's going to tell you a long story that's going to take you three quarters of the way through the movie and then probably the um the 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 third act is going to open uh, with us catching back up to him telling his story to this guy with the tie and then within about 10 minutes that story is told and we get this tragic but comedically awesome scene of him walking away from the building and then the guy just flattening the car next to him and you see the dog going with him and I'm like you bastard why did you take the dog uh but it's all just so well done that it's tragic but it's it's hilarious at the same time because he gives zero shits about that guy um it, yeah it's i i really enjoyed uh watching this movie again i i have not seen it actually probably since that time that i watched it with my friend um although i've owned it on dvd for a long time in fact that's the very way that i watched it this time round was digging through my dvd collection and, and picking it out uh but yeah i 
now I'm in danger of talking too much, but I, I'm just glad to have uh, given uh, David a, a rest. So there we go. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're free for free. Like it's it's a brilliantly made movie, and um, just I I think it is probably unless I'm forgetting something super super obvious. I think it is as as was um, possibly you know discussed earlier. I think this is the movie that kind of kicks it all off for South Korea and and um, the popularity of Southern Korean movies in uh, in the West because I, I can't think of any earlier examples. Definitely was for me. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely was it. for me. I I, and I remember getting it at I worked at Blockbuster at the time, mm. um, and or not too long after that, um, and that was basically the only way I was seeing a lot of these movies. Um, because I was in Gas City, Indiana at a blockbuster. So, I mean, there wasn't, um, we had a movie theater kind of nearby, but it was only going to show like, you know, quote unquote, normal movies, nothing with subtitles. Um, but they were starting to release them on home video through like, what was it? Like, uh, what was the name of that company? Was it like Tartan Asian? Tartan. Yeah. That's the, that's actually the DVD that I have is from Tartan Video. That's right. Tartan yeah. Asia Extreme. That was another one they started doing too. Where So it was like uh, I saw Old Boy and then suddenly we're starting to get other ones at that I never would have come across at all. Um, like the other Vengeance movies, Thirst. Mm. Um, that was when I worked at another blockbuster a little bit later on, but still same deal. Uh, and then the other one I remember very much connected to Old Boy for me at the time was Three Extremes. Um, it's technically written out as three like ellipses and then extremes, I think. Um, mm. And it was an anthology of, I, I, I'm trying to remember if they were all classified as horror specifically, but they were definitely um, hardcore, <laughs> like more more hardcore. And Park Chan-wook had um, a short in there. And then the one that was maybe at the time the most infamous was there was one about an old woman who has this like beauty skincare uh, sort of serum thing that people come to her for and you find out it's from like fetuses and from like abortions that she's um performing and stuff to to get the fetuses out to put in the dumplings that they're eating or whatever it's something like that um and so i i i connect this movie also this might just be me but it also kind of has a connection to the other um to extreme more extreme trends i felt like were happening in a similar time in different places probably also influenced by this and that was one that um you guys know i love to talk about on the show because we bring it up a lot and that's french new um extremism stuff because this was also when we start i started getting at blockbuster high tension and and martyrs and some of those movies and then um just the general sort of at the time again 2003 2004 post 9-11 um you're getting hostile uh the hills have eyes remake you're getting a lot of that stuff that's that's more uh a lot more violent a lot more extreme a lot more shocking and having tortured you know gruesome stuff um again i am sure there's this is all very obvious or there are much deeper connections that you can make and there are books about it and everything else but it all kind of does feel I, i was reminded of that watching it um for the show um for the first time since that back then i started remembering you know oh this was when hostel came out and <laughs> like this was the kind of the vibe of of what that was back then mm. um which i think people forget is like torture porn is torture porn now it all kind of gets written off and i get why and 
it has you know fans in certain ways but at the time it wasn't just oh it's another torture porn movie like when hostel came out it was this like shocking hardcore thing um and it it wasn't just just another torture porn movie it was this shocking movie that was making people talk about it in in different ways because of different reasons the saw movies too were starting to happen anyway going off on a on a tangent but it does at least for me seem connected um not specifically to this movie because uh, i remember um and i looked at it again this morning reading roger ebert's review at the time and he talks about how the violence in this movie is earned that it's, it's, Mm. it's not violence for to be shocking or for violence sake. Um, everything has some sort of meaning, some sort of significance, some sort of connection. Um, that obviously differs from, you know, some of the other things that I just mentioned, but just the sort of extreme nature of all of it, um, both in terms of violence and things that you see on screen. Um, but then just the content, all the stuff with the incest and, and, on both sides and uh, it just that's a lot <laughs> yeah there's a lot going on it, it's, <laughs> it's heavy that that stuff when it's revealed it is very jarring because of the fact that i mean first of all it's it's a very uncomfortable subject anyway it's not something that it, it's it's even it, it feels taboo just to talk about it even you know um it makes a rewatch of the movie different i'll tell you that um yeah yeah, I, I <laughs> they got to the sex scene this time. I was like, "Oh Lord!" I'd forgotten. I I watch this. <laughs> I'd forgotten about all of that part of it. Like, I I remembered like the fight in the hallway and everything, and I remembered that the big reveal of um uh, of who Mido was uh, to um, Odesu at the end. Um, but I didn't remember anything about the motivations of the um the quote unquote bad guy. Uh, so it was kind of ideal for me watching this because i was rediscovering the film all over again uh thank god for short-term memory hey eh? or long-term <laughs> memory loss uh so it's yeah that that felt like um like a, a not a complete kind of like left turn but it certainly felt like they were kind of pulling the rug out from under you a little bit because we have we have all these assumptions of, of where the film was leading us like obviously he's terribly wronged somebody uh before and he's he's a piece of shit anyway so you know what could it be but then like it turns out that actually if you look at it he's being punished for exposing something which was very wrong anyway and like he's not the one that should be suffering as a result of this um well it's it's another one of those i remember um there was another movie that I'm not going to mention that is probably on everyone's mind and it's probably on Andy's list <laughs> that came out uh, not super long after this movie did. Um, and there was this, I remember starting to see a lot more movies, revenge movies, because that's another thing I didn't really get into when Andy mentioned when you mentioned the setup at the beginning. I'm a huge fan of revenge uh, stories um, and uh, of all types. I mean, I, I like, you know, sort of like quote unquote fun um, sort of like uh, 80s action throwback, whatever kind of things. But then I also really like stories that that look at and analyze and and kind of get into the impacts of violence and and hatred and revenge and how that shit never helps. Like it, 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 it you know, I've not gone through that myself, but a lot of these stories were starting to kind of get into the idea of like both people lose. Like your what's mm-hmm. the whole dig two graves thing? Like there's there's not there's not an upside so for the antagonist in this movie um i mean this is a dude who's pretty clearly fucked up (laughs) like both in terms of 
of pain and just like his entire life has been devoted. He has nothing to live for. Like, it's just all, no one wins. Everybody loses. Hmm. And I think that's also a reason why the end of the movie, which in high school, I, I remember being more dismissive of, uh, and, and I mean the very end, the ep- sort of epilogue thing with the with the hypnotist and all that. Oh, no, that's my favorite part. We'll, we'll get As there in a second. <laughs> okay, yeah. As I was going to say, I wanted to kind of set it up so we can talk about that, too. Because Park, Park Jamwook has talked about how it's it's intentionally ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions in that scene that are set up. Like how much does he remember? Is he? Are they going to stay together? There's all these sort of things that are, are not answered. And... As an adult, I I definitely am interested in having that discussion and, and conversation, but there's also part of me that's kind of like, it's it's kind of like talking about the top and inception to where it's like, I kind of feel like we all lose no matter what. So it, it's the, the sense of, especially the very last shot of him smiling and then his face sort of twisting into something that isn't a smile anymore mm. and isn't. You can't tell if it's a laugh or a cry or or anguish. It's this weird look. That to me is all. That to me, in some ways, is also kind of just the epilogue wrapped up in a face, um, which is this this you don't know this uncertainty and kind of no matter what conclusions you might end up at, it, it's not a happy ending, <laughs> really for for anyone. So I don't know. But, but go for it, Dave. You said this was your favorite part of the movie yeah absolutely because although like i appreciate that he said that he wanted to leave it as being ambiguous i don't think there's any ambiguity whatsoever like the monster is very much still alive and very much in charge of odesu um and like i i i had to search long and hard for people discussing this very thing and i eventually found it on reddit because of course everything's on reddit um and it turns out that i i mean i thought maybe it was a minority view but apparently the majority view is that the monster survives the monster is in charge and that um the hypnotism didn't work at all and like there's a lot of reasons for that first of all um the whole uh shtick with the hypnotist she starts off by saying look this may not work and it could go very badly then the way that they um visualize the the separation of of man and monster is that man is a reflection in the window and the monster is a fully realized actual human being um she says the monster is the one that remembers everything uh, he's going to turn around, he's going to walk away, he's going to take however many paces it was, like 40 paces or 30 paces or whatever. And uh, every pace that's taken, he'll get a year older and then he'll die. And the thing is, like, when you get to the end of the story and um, Mido finds him kind of collapsed in the snow after following his footsteps, which are walking away from the chairs where they were sat, he's fucking old looking all of a sudden like older than he did look he has gray hairs everywhere um and then there's that little smirk and then the the the, the change in his uh in his his face that you're not sure if like, like you said if it's anguish or if it's uh laughing or, or what it is and i'm just like no that <laughs> he remembers and he's gonna have to go the rest of his life trying to figure out how to how how to take care of this problem because he's you know like it doesn't leave me in, in any way uncertain as to what's happened there there's far too many clues visually um that that just point to the fact that 
that the hypnotism didn't work. And, and in fact, it may have actually uh, resulted in the monster taking over more than uh, currently because now rather than having one um, personality where part of that is this monster, you know, the... Um, the, the guy that could fight and the guy that knew the secret of, of who Mido was. These pe- these have now been separated into two personalities. And I, I think that the monster personality is probably more in charge than the Odesu personality. Um, and it's it's a fucking horrendous thing to contemplate. But I think that's where it's left, honestly. We mentioned it earlier and you just really hit on it too. The it's pretty crazy how much hypnotism plays a part in this movie. <laughs> it's a, it's a big, it's plays a pretty central role in terms of a lot of the things happening yeah. so much so that there was a point where um, I kind of laughed at the end where they go back and show um, all the different triggers and things that happened to them to that were, were set up through hypnotism mm. um, that earlier in the movie, when I saw it happen, I was just like, oh, it's one of those cultural things I don't understand. <laughs> there were a lot of, <laughs> of moments like that throughout the movie where I was just like, oh, I don't understand why he just passed out when she asked him or when she touched his hand or I don't understand why, you know, he did this thing. But it's, you know, I'm so used to watching um, a lot of, you know, to me, foreign films that have different things baked into their culture or whatever else that aren't going to be spelled out in the script. So I have to just kind of shrug my shoulders and say like, okay, I, that doesn't make sense to me, but it obviously I'm assuming makes sense to someone. Hmm. Um, and it was interesting going back through this and being like, no, no, no. A lot of that stuff was because they were hypnotized and well, they had these, it. these trigger words, which, yeah. Um, yeah. adds some, that's another level of, of, of depth to the, the watch like, and the rewatch. And another part of the tragedy of it all is that, like, Mido has probably had her memory erased, like, uh, and completely changed just to make all of this work. Because yeah. she, he he lets her know what her daughter's name was and who he is and why he's looking for uh, for this and that and the other. Like, she she knows everything about him. You would think that if she was just his daughter that had uh, had to grow up without her mother or father that she would fucking remember the moment that he said any of this so she's had her entire personality rewritten through hypnosis which is another fucking shame and you know that then you're wondering okay but there was the shopkeeper who said that she was adopted by a swedish couple and she's changed her name now and she can hardly speak any uh korean so does that mean that that woman's been hypnotized or did they just create this story um and and have like a actress kind of like play the part of the daughter on the phone to to kind of convince her that that was the case like there, there's a lot of stuff which watching this movie the second time and remembering who mido was and everything like i i immediately i was kind of putting out fires of of, of logic in my head because there were all these little uh things coming up and I was like, well, obviously she must have been hypnotized because there's no other way that she would not realize that he was her father. Um, so, yeah, it's man, it's a really good film, but it does kind of rely on you to accept that certain things will go unanswered and you need to either come up with those answers yourself or just not be too worried about them. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. I, I think there are films where that's the case and 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 i actively criticize them for it but i i think in this instance they put all of the answers out in front of you they just don't explicitly explain them you have to kind of 
put them together yourself a little bit, but it's all there, you know, and it all makes sense. It's it's just a matter of uh, of putting it together yourself if you care enough to do so. Otherwise, you can just sit back and enjoy people having their teeth taken out by a claw hammer, which is, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was a brilliant scene. <laughs> yeah, the, and I also love how, too, there's, this is just more Chris Farley shit for me. There's oh, yeah. also the, just the sort of slight reworking of their reality when they talk about things, like kind of mentioned before and, and what you're talking about as well, like the the ant stuff the metaphor there with people seeing ants and then her seeing a giant ant on a subway subway train mm. <laughs> like near her again something that didn't really happen um but the the um one one shot that i love for some reason is when he's fighting i forget the guy's name but he's he's the like antagonist like bodyguard guy mm. um the dude with white hair who yeah. kind of looks like um um Zatoichi uh, Takeshi yeah <laughs> yeah yeah same dude yeah um he uh, he throws Daisu against a window at one point, and he like throws him like fifteen feet in the yeah. air. There's like little <laughs> things like that throughout the movie that I love too, where it's like there's this sort of bending of of what's happening. And again, they don't. It's similar to the editing stuff. It, it's not a motif or anything else. It's just something in that moment. Um, it makes I guess if I don't know a lot of the stuff. I I'm surprised. Again, I'm just constantly surprised that they pulled off because. It, it's stuff that almost any other context would be would be obnoxious or frustrating, but the blend of the tones and and the story that they're telling and the direction, the vision, all of it is like so on point and finely tuned that it all just balances itself. It's this weird like Jenga tower <laughs> that somehow is is still standing up, and it's twenty years old and it <laughs> it plays plays so old. well. I feel old. Well, I, I was just gonna say even like. The amount of tones back then, the fact that it still works now is crazy. Um, but also, yeah, we're all 20 years older than we saw it. There is that too. <laughs> yeah, no more dial-up internet these days. But uh, if, if you know, you know. <laughs> um, Today you wouldn't find a CD to stab someone with. Oh, That's yeah. That's true. I like that part too. Um, <laughs> the, For a while, uh, the movie was really uncomfortable. Not having seen it like almost 20 years ago and not remembering every detail about the movie but in the beginning when Mido brings Odesu Odesu so to to her place and he attacks her on the toilet and she yeah. fights him off and then she apologizes to him and then she says but why wouldn't I have taken you home if I wouldn't want you but w I I will be ready one day and I will let you know by singing the song I I, I might might be defensive at first but you just have to push through and and, <laughs> and that's so uncomfortable until later on you learn okay she's been programmed that way to say all these things right. and, and <laughs> makes more sense yeah. that way and makes makes the movie more watchable 20 years later <laughs> because there's <laughs> other movies that in earnesty do things like that um, mm -hmm. from 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 the past and yeah so I think that yeah the movie still holds up today and and and, and just works on a mm -hmm. on a on a story level and aesthetically as i said it's it's a masterpiece the we didn't talk about the music i i love the score um there's there's a few different um pieces that they use some existing and then sort of the kind of like i'm assuming it's a main cho young wook did the um did the score and apparently it was worked with park chan wook before and and since but the the theme that plays throughout it I, i'm assuming is an original 
kind of like the old boy theme that plays in, at key moments in the film is really nice. Mm-hmm. And it also cracks me up too, especially like movies around 2000, right before and right after. There's still, you can tell that there's still a little bit of a remnant of that, like, um, one specific beat from, like, the Matrix movies, from, like, like there's the, like, that, like, weird thing that they used in so many movies back then. It has that, a little bit of that in the score, too, which um, I got a little nostalgic about. I was like, yeah, I remember this. Turn of the, turn of the millennium when we just had these, like, weird... Um, pseudo techno beats in a lot of our music for, for whatever reason to make them seem uh, edgy and and current um it's a weird little affectation now but also love the subtitles in this movie they change it up a lot they use different colors different fonts um yeah really awesome. i watched the german uh, dub so uh all right well, never mind <laughs> speak to, to the subtitles yeah. Um, yeah, music wise I, think... I i i noticed like because you talked about the original score and you you mentioned they they used existing music as well and there's also mm-hmm. like w- at least one wonderful sequence where a really a really violent sequence set to to classical music which I'm not able yeah. to to name but similar to to what Kubrick did in in A Clockwork Orange for example and again works works wonderfully in in Old Boy yeah I think so too. How many, um, I, I was looking through, before we do double feature picks, I was looking through the rest of his filmography, and I think I've only seen Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, Thirst, and Stoker. Um, and then I just recently bought Decision to Leave um, on disc, because I've heard really good things about it, which is his, his most recent film, which is not um, horror genre, I think it's more like noir romance maybe mm-hmm. um what about you did you have, have there been has he, has he been a filmmaker you've consistently gone out of your way to watch or just kind of similar where it's been random movies yeah pretty pretty random as i said uh, i discovered him with with old boy so there were already a few movies out that i hadn't seen um joint security area is a big one yeah and, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I believe I haven't seen Sympathy. Um, I don't remember, at least. I, I have seen Lady Vengeance. I did go see I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay at the cinema when it came out. I think that was probably the, like the, the the next movie. I mean, of course, Lady Vengeance was in between, but I don't know if there was a screening of that one. So I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay is, a, is one that I have seen. A fa- fantastic title. <laughs> Just for the title alone, <laughs> I wanted to see that movie. Uh, Thirst, I did see fairly recently when we did it mm-hmm. for the show. Um, I think that's it, yeah. Okay. Old Boy, uh, Thirst, I'm a Cyborg, Lady Vengeance. I've seen those four I heard a lot about The Handmaiden when it came out. People seemed to like that one quite yeah. a bit. And then I've talked about Stoker um, on the show. And at the time, I, I was a huge fan of, of that one, which I th- think is his only English-language film. Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he's done another one since then. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it makes me want to rewatch more now because it. I think this is – we. Ha- it's interesting that we all had kind of a similar thing, which was that we all saw this back when it came out and then never uh, rewatched it. And um, – it makes me want to go back and pick that thread up again a little bit and kind of yeah. go back through and fill in some of the gaps because 
I, I think there was also a long time where I he's a producer on Snowpiercer too. I think there was a long time before I had watched as many movies where I was conflating him and Bong Joon Ho mm-hmm. and thinking that they were um, because again my my introduction was around that same time. Um, but he's also a producer on there, so maybe that's why I thought that. Anyway, let's do some uh, double feature picks. Um, Dave had stepped away for a second, so I'm not sure if he's back yet. Gonna take that as a no. So. <laughs> Andy, uh, what's your double feature pick? <laughs> yeah, um, absence of hope. Um, no one gets out unscathed, uh, innocent. Uh, young women uh, get involved in something that they have no control over because of men doing bad shit. Uh, David Fincher's Seven. Nice. Nice. Fantastic movie. Um, I I went through a bunch of different things. Um, More than a few of them, ones that either are on your list or we should maybe do at some point. Um, I'll just mention the other one. I set it up already. Um, I saw the devil. That's the one I was th- I was referring to mm-hmm. earlier, um, which uh, I can't remember if you've seen, Andy. Well, um, I watched it, but it was not a great night. I was very tired. I have to rewatch that movie. The movie is actually not on my list because Ooh. it's not that easy to get. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, we we have a friend who owns a copy, so I would probably be able to to borrow it if i set it up (laughs) but yeah it's it's a movie that came up during my research um but yeah because of availability issues i didn't uh, immediately write it down gotcha okay um dave have you seen it i saw the devil no i've not south korean movie okay another that's one i was mentioning earlier so Choi min sik who plays ode su is um one of the two leads in it as well and uh, it's um, it's a, a horror revenge movie for sure, revenge horror, whichever um, order you want to put it into. Um, I, I've only seen it once. It's a similar thing where I really liked it at the time. Um, it was also one of those ones that definitely was like, hey, by the end of everything, when you get revenge, no one wins, <laughs> and you're gonna feel like shit. Um, but it, it's a again, it's I think it's such an interesting concept that we get less and less of now um and andy i would imagine a lot of your research when you were looking up for revenge horror movies the majority probably were rape revenge that kind of seems to be the main one in horror yeah and that's something that i wanted to stay away from Uh, yeah i I, those movies i did not write down that's not a genre that i was interested in doing a whole series about (laughs) yeah me neither and and that's what i was going to say that that distinction usually when you get into the horror realm it ends up becoming one of those things and um the it happens every once in a while and other stuff i've talked about the last of us part two on here every once in a while that that's a big revenge story and a big um you know sort of multi-faceted layered let's take a look at this and the effects that it has on your mental health and how it doesn't help in a way that you think it's going to help and um i think all that stuff's really interesting i i could go on and on and on about revenge movies i almost picked blue ruin another one that i like a lot which doesn't really have enough in common with old boy which is why i didn't pick it but just it's a revenge movie that i like quite a bit um that was by that's jeremy saulnier's movie before uh green room um so yeah i'll go with i saw the devil good movie from what i remember i'd like to rewatch it dave what's your uh, double feature pick <laughs> i have not got a bloody clue what to pick um i think i guess i'll just go for a really really random one and i apologize because this really is random it's not even horror horror um but um, 
going on the idea of people not necessarily knowing who they are, who the people around them are, um, the whole revenge thing going on. Um, I'm going to go for the Count of Monte Cristo from 2002. Uh, <laughs> I think that works. They Jim, mention it in the movie. Jim Caviezel, uh, Henry Cavill, early role for Henry Cavill, um, Guy Pierce. It's a good film. It's the only version that I've watched, actually, uh, of The Count of Monte Cristo. And I know there's a few that were made. Um, but It's uh, my favorite, uh, along with the Wishbone 20-plus um, minute adaptation on PBS in the 90s when I was a kid. Oh, there you go. I don't remember if I've talked to you guys about Wishbone or if you remember what that is. I have no idea, so probably not. Um, Wishbone was the best. Wishbone was a, a kid's educational sort of TV show in the 90s about this dog who loved to read. Right. Um, it was live action, so he had his owner. His name was Joe, I think. And they would end up in some sort of misadventure in real life and in the 90s of, of Joe and him going to school. And... I think middle school or high school or whatever, and it would mirror whatever book Wishbone was reading at the time, which would almost always be some some like classic literature things like Count of Monte Cristo, Tale of Two Cities, whatever. And then it would intercut the '90s stuff with um, <laughs> like a dramatization of the book, but the main character was always played by Wishbone, this fucking like Yorkshire Terrier or whatever. Um, who would talk like you would hear his voice or whatever it sounds like what it probably was which was a coke fueled fever dream of the 90s (laughs) but it it worked on me that and reading rainbow like helped bolster my love of reading and got me into so many different kinds of books so there's all these weird little things in my life that you mentioned count of monte cristo my mind goes to that movie and then a little dog in a cell (laughs) in a a castle from when i was a kid um Anyway, hey, whatever works. Uh, <laughs> thing is, like, things like reading Rainbow, like I, I'm not too uh, familiar with it, being um, as it never really sure. aired outside of the US, as far as I'm aware. May- maybe it, it went out to like Canada and places like that. I don't know. But... I'm assuming Wishbone's dead. Lavar Burton's still around, so yeah. It's got well, a that's where I was going. That's where I was going to go with that. Like Lavar Burton, for me, is always going to be Geordie LaForge. But for a sure. generation of children, he was the reason that they read more than they probably would have otherwise, and. You know, I, I think that there's there's a lot of educational programming that people have a lot of uh, time for and, and a lot of uh, fondness for. And one of the things that did translate to the UK was Sesame Street. Um, nice. So I will always, whenever I hear the uh, that song, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, that's <laughs> that's good for me. Uh, that, that that's a good day for me if I'm reminded of that. So. I was such a uh, a comic book kid in the 90s and not a Star Trek. I, I, I didn't get into that until the the Abrams reboot. Mm. Um, that whenever I saw Jordy LaForge... I, I remember specifically the, the, the moment where I found out that he wasn't like Cyclops and couldn't shoot stuff out of his visor. <laughs> I was 500% less interested in Star Trek. No. I was like, oh, okay, never mind. His visor was so much more useful than a bloody shutter. <laughs> I'm sure it was, but when you're seven... It's yeah. not cooler than a laser. No, I know, I know, and and it became an integral uh, plot uh, piece of of uh, Star Trek Generations as well. Um, I won't bore people with it, but you know, if there's any Trekkies that want to talk to me about Star Trek, you know, got to watch USS Calister, tying it back to Black Mirror. There you go, watch USS Calister. Look at that um, expert. I I don't think we have anything set up for next week yet. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, we haven't, and uh, I'm probably not going to be around. 
Oh, that's right. Um, Andy will still be alive. The way he said that sounded uh, very, <laughs> very dire. He's made his peace uh, with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'll no longer be around. Um, so yeah, we'll follow us over on uh, social media. We'll announce what we're doing next week, whether it's Dave and I uh, doing something weird and wacky, or um, and then also doing a weird episode. Uh, you like that joke, Dave? Uh, or also uh, taking a week off. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Um, follow us on social media let us know what you thought of Old Boy if you watched it this week keep watching horror movies stay safe out there we'll see you next week bye 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 This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.